Reconstructionist Radio presents a War Room production, Once Dead, where brothers and sisters in the faith share God's grace upon their lives, how they were once spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins, but are now kingdom-driven by the grace of God so undeserved. Hello, my name is Shelby Luke Jr., known as Gramps, and I was once dead. I was born on an Air Force base in southern Alabama in 1953, and soon after moved to Texas where my folks were from, and where I've remained the entirety of my life. The handiwork of God on and in my life started before the foundation of the world. However, on this earth, and at the age of three months old, as I was told, I was in a bad car wreck while being kept by Willie and Dolores Pantoji. Aunt Toji, as she would later be known by me, would tell me, Skipper, when I saw that car run that stop sign and knew we were about to be hit, all I could do is throw my body over yours and cry, Lord, please don't let anything happen to this baby. God answered her plea, as I did not have a scratch on me while Willie, known to us kids as Daddy Bug, and Aunt Toji were cut and busted up. Aunt Toji continued keeping me until I was six, and I became like one of her own grandchildren. My love for the Mexican people was nurtured in me by her, and I loved her so. My parents, not being active Christians at the time, and after I would plead with them, would drop me off at vacation Bible school during the summer, which began when I was five. And yes, the folks at vacation Bible school desperately tried to get me to ask Jesus into my heart, and even tried coercing me with a little Bible as a reward if I did. And I would reply, no thanks, Jesus hasn't done anything in me yet. While the other children would be telling me, just tell them what they want to hear and they will give you the Bible. After a couple of years, my parents bought me a Bible and I began to read. And when I was eight, I remember staring at the ceiling from a three-tiered bunk bed, and the words popped into my head, Why am I me, Lord? Those words perplexed me, as I was already a very stubborn, strong-willed, and sinful individual, and I wouldn't be able to answer that question for years to come. Regardless, I knew the things I was doing was wrong. It was as if I was being taunted by fear, then I would think of Jesus, but I would continue doing all the things that were in opposition to God's Word. So I stopped reading His Word, as I was a prolific reader by the time I was eight thinking surely that as my actions were not lining up with his word, then I would stop reading the very word of God, and I could continue peacefully in my sin. Right? Well, I continued in my sin, trying to shun the very thought of Jesus, even cursing his name and laughing, which still brings tears to my eyes when remembering that time. You see, I had to be tough being a small kid with a big mouth. By the time I was 13... I could drive a car, truck, motorcycle, standard or automatic, it didn't matter, which only opened up a world to send more, in my case. Then all the tumultuous years of my parents' conflicting selfishness ended in divorce, which wasn't strange in my family and had been common for generations. Oh, the pain. I loved them both so much, but I hated their actions even more. This is never going to happen to me. And with that foolish statement, 
I started building walls around my heart so that no one or anything could cause me that pain again. Never. With the governor giving me my license under a hardship at the age of 13, my selfishness, and now, with my parents divorcing, I justified and excused my sin. This action took me to the heights of my depraved nature. Alcohol fueled meanness in me, which was uncharacteristic of me, and I almost cowardly killed someone, and marijuana would calm me down. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life continued to excite me. I caused my dad more pain for the pain him and my mom caused me. By thinking they didn't care, why should I? The depravity of man knows no limits and has no boundaries without Jehovah God and His Word. I often thought of my grandpa, Lee Hawkins Sr., a carpenter, an old salty dog, as my uncles would attest to. I was the oldest grandchild, and I remember him sitting me in his lap and telling me story after story. Some I knew weren't true, but oh how I loved him. It was my grandmother that gave me my nickname when she came to Alabama to visit me when I was born sitting me on her lap saying, You're the skipper. When I was four, my grandpa left, and I later learned that he and my grandma had divorced. It was then my aunt started searching for him, and it would be eleven years before finally catching up with him. I was fifteen, and sin abounded in my life, when my dad told me my aunt had located my grandpa in Dallas, Texas, and that he was coming to her house on Friday evening if we wanted to see him. Even though I loved my grandpa, my selfishness was greater. After all, he was the one that deserted me. I refused to cancel my plans that Friday night, but assured my aunt I would be there, sometime. Little did I know what this October Friday night in 1968 would bring. Having carried out my plans on Friday night, it was now time to turn my attention to my grandpa. It was already getting late. And now, of all times, it started raining as I headed to my aunt's house. No, not just raining. It was flooding. The streets already had water standing from not being able to drain fast enough. I couldn't see the front of the car. It was raining so hard. As I rounded a corner, my car died, and I coasted up in the southwestern Bell parking lot. Oh, great. Why now, God? In an instant, I was so angry with God. I got out of the car, walking around it as a madman, kicking the tires, the rain not letting up, piercing my skin as needles, thinking he, God, had destroyed my family, stopped me from making Eagle Scout as I only needed four more merit badges, using me as a taxi service for my sister and brothers, taking them to every event in their lives so they could remain normal, and now, because of this torrential rain he caused, I wouldn't get to see my grandpa. As I got back in the car soaking wet, I was so angry at God. Oh, how the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I was pounding on the steering wheel while trying to start the car, until not even a click could be heard from the ignition switch. My head drooped over the steering wheel, so much anger dwelling within me. Why now, Lord? Why me? It was then I heard a still voice inside my head saying, start the car. I remember laughing just as Sarah did when the Lord told her she would bear a son in her old age, thinking to myself, if you are God, then you know I have drained this battery down to nothing. And again, I heard this still voice saying, 
son start the car. It seemed like it took me ages to take my hand off the steering wheel. In reality, it was only a minute or so. My head was spinning as to what was going on, doubting even more than Thomas when told Jesus was alive. Then I turned the key just a little, and as soon as it made contact, it was as if it was a brand new battery, and the car started. It was at that moment, sitting in the car, soaking wet, all alone, that the Holy Spirit pricked my heart, and I cried out, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned against you. As soon as those words were spoken, the wall around my heart was shattered, and the weight of all my sin, which I no longer could bear, was placed on my Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom there was no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. In that moment, the anger was gone, all of it. That towards my mom and dad, my grandparents, my situation, but most of all, towards God. Oh, the jubilation, the joy. God is real, and he called me son. And I now cry, Abba, Father. Yes, I was made a new creation that night. The night doesn't end there. I had to tell someone. I've got to go see Grandpa. As I walked into my aunt's house, soaking wet, but very jubilant, and well after 9 p.m., a lot of the family had come and gone, and I was staring at this elderly man in a black suit, and I started thinking, imposter, because I had never seen my grandpa wear anything but carpenter jeans or overalls. My aunt gave me a towel to dry off with, and my grandpa spoke. You must be Skipper. Yes, I replied, and he motioned me to come and sit by him. And as I did, he said, Skipper, I need to tell you one more story. It was not at all what I expected, having not seen him for eleven years and knowing he loved to fish. He then started telling me of this man named Jesus Christ, who had redeemed him and had cast his sin as far as the east is to the west. What a joyful night that was, as Grandpa gave me his testimony. As my aunt, uncle, and cousins gathered round, I also shared with them how the Holy Spirit had removed the scales from my eyes to see that Jesus Christ had paid a debt that I owed, a debt I could never pay, and how he had taken the burden of my sin and set me free. It was a joyous night, and the last time I would see my grandpa alive. As my journey started with Jesus Christ being real and his word true, I started reading my Bible again with new zeal and an understanding of what was being said. I started attending Grace Baptist Church where my aunt and uncle attended and Brother Weist was the pastor. The first thing I wanted to do was be baptized. I couldn't sit still as I listened to the sermon waiting for Brother Weist to finish preaching. He, as I remember, never gave an altar call or a five-minute coursing of asking Jesus into your heart. He would just look around and ask if anyone had anything to say or do. No one had to beg me this time. It was like I had to refrain from running down the aisle. I often wonder, what would be wrong if a person did show their jubilation by jumping up and down, throwing their fist in the air? After all, can we not celebrate the fact that we were once dead, but now have been made alive by the atoning work of Jesus Christ? It is here, I believe, the paradigm starts, and the shackles of man's religion are placed unknowingly on the new believer. As a new believer, I had so many questions, and I wanted to discuss the word with anyone who would listen. I can't give this testimony without sharing the first lesson the Lord taught me. 
As I stated earlier, my parents divorced. Both were responsible. But my mom left us to pursue her desires of the flesh. I purposely hadn't seen her for a year and a half or so due to things I saw, being the oldest and was quite content to let her make the first move, if and when she chose to do so. That wasn't God's plan, though. He pricked my conscience, the walls around my heart already torn down and taken away. And it is here the Lord showed me His word is backed by action. As I heard that still voice of the Lord in accordance with His word say, Go see your mom. Do what? Wait a minute. I now know you are real, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. So don't you see what she did to me? Yes, Lord. I'll never forget kicking and screaming at God as I rode my motorcycle to her house. But I believe that one act of forgiveness has perpetuated many blessings, as obedience is better than sacrifice. Well, my old friends stopped hanging around, as they didn't want to hear that Jesus stuff. My dad, even though he had started going to church, had no time to talk, a single parent raising four children. So I spent a lot of time with my Aunt Marlene, who would gladly stop what she was doing and discuss the Word. Brother Weist, who was in his early 80s, would spend as much time as he could, but it was the deacons that surprised me. The more questions I asked, it seemed the less they liked me and did not want to discuss the Word. I did not have the knowledge, wherewithal, or foresight to see what was coming by my prideful ways, and after a year and a half, I left the fellowship to save the world. I mean, I knew where all the people were that needed Jesus, so I will go and tell them. Oh, how important it is to realize and know there is safety in the multitude of counselors. The stark realization of being presumptuous and not being led by the Holy Spirit would soon be manifested and I would learn a valuable lesson as one who a few years later would succumb to all that Vanity Fair had to offer on my way to the Celestial City. I met the love of my life, Nancy, and we were married at the age of 17. That was 45 years ago. I caused her much pain in the years ahead as I started walking away from God. Sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. We soon were blessed with our oldest daughter, Mika. There were hard times, and I'm thankful my dad worked me hard as a youngster, working two jobs through high school, two jobs when Nan and I first married, until the longshoremen went on strike. Then nothing. Just before Mika was born, I started working at a service station until being called by Goodyear Chemical, where I worked for the next 32 years. We both knew we needed to be serving the Lord, so we started visiting various churches to no avail. I even became the topic of one sermon while sitting there listening as the preacher condemned me for having my hair over my ears. Being quite frustrated, we both rebelled and reveled in serving ourselves instead of God or each other. We excused our actions, even though we knew the Holy Spirit and the Word was condemning them. A very dangerous place to be, but also exemplifies the long-suffering of our Lord. My fatalistic actions came to a peak shortly after my second daughter, Delane, was born, and Nancy almost dying when some of the placenta was left in her became infected. After getting out of the hospital and recuperating somewhat, she had had enough with me and with how we were living and started going to church. We were not living as man and wife, even though in the same house. 
I was perplexed about the entire situation and was truly living as a God unto myself, knowing to do what is right, but doing it not, to him it is sin. And the Holy Spirit would affirm his word every single time I laid my head down to rest. Then a providential knock on the door, and there stood a schoolmate, longtime friend, and now a detective who was a past agent for the FBI. His warning was simple. Stop what you are doing, or you will lose your freedom. Oh, how I thank God for that day, and for that man, you know who you are, who put his concern for me over that of his job. I knew things had to change. Heeding the warning, I stopped immediately, and warned the others as I was asked to do. My father-in-law, Curtis Evans, being a Mason, suggested I join the Masons. Yes, I know. It is against their bylaws to proselyte anyone, even family, without their asking first. But I was in bad shape. It was the closest Curtis and I would ever be. 20,000 words of rhetoric committed to memory later, and I was a Master Mason. It was now that Nancy bought me a Masonic Bible. It was a King James Version, and it had the square and compass inside the cover and was a black letter edition. I started reading and underlining everything Christ said and read while continuing on the Masonic trail. All the while, so many things going on. When I first started reading the Bible Nancy had bought me, there was a false repentance to her. As I remembered the words I had said years earlier, this will never happen to me. The Royal Archmasons, Knights Templar, all in the shortest possible time. I was trying to find my way back to the door. The Masonic Lodge is not the answer. The agony, the anguish, the turmoil of succumbing to Vanity Fair. How did I let this happen? I trusted in doing things my way, instead of trusting in the very one who bought me, who sustains me. On the brink of losing everything dear to me, my wife, my children, my job, and my mind, as I had forsaken the peace I had with God when he saved me. Nancy's body was healing and she was getting her strength back both physically but more importantly spiritually. She was the one God was using daily to show me how we were to live in accordance to his word, applying it every day to every situation. The lodge had only caused more division at a crucial time. The walls of my house were being torn down to the very foundation. As Nancy and the children left one evening, I remember her saying, I love you, and I want you to be my husband, but only if you serve God, so think about it. I sat down in the driveway after she drove off, her words I knew to be true, and God's word even louder, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As I laid prostrate on the driveway crying, Father, I have sinned against you. If you will give me another chance, I will serve you the rest of my days. God granted me repentance that night, being faithful to his word, the door, faithful and unchanging, the Holy Spirit directing me to some of the armor I had cast off as I entered Vanity Fair ten years earlier. As I continued reading God's word, my zeal for the things of the Lord returned. The Holy Spirit using the Word of God as the bellows to fan and rekindle a remaining ember into a glowing fire, spiritually and in our marriage. I started going to church with Nancy and the girls, and we soon agreed that was not the place for us, as we continued to give glory to the sovereign God of creation. 
We visited several churches and denominations and soon were directed to Grace Baptist Church. The pastor, Brother Dean, was a prolific teacher on the sovereignty of God, exactly what we wanted and needed. Shortly after joining that fellowship, I repented and rebuked Masonry publicly before the church, as I had finished reading and underlining in red everything Christ said. The separation had begun again. This time it was not between Nancy and I, but with our families, being labeled fanatic because we were applying God's word to our lives in all that we did and everywhere we went. We started having Bible studies that sometimes would last into early morning, as three hours a week was not enough. The associate pastor, Ted Gower, from 56 Arkansas, a dear brother and friend until the Lord called him home, started coming to the Bible studies and allowed us to question him with and about the Word of God. He soon asked Nancy and I, where do y'all get all these questions from? It was a beautiful time in our lives as God united my immediate family, growing Nancy and my love for each other as our love grew for Christ. What was different? Christ was not only our Savior, He was now our Lord. We were reaching out to people in our community, on the job, in the marketplace, and people saw us applying God's Word to our lives and wanted what we had. Then it happened. Brother Dean gave us an edict that we could no longer have Bible studies without him. What? When you can show us in God's Word your edict, then we will obey God, I told him. As he failed to support his edict from God's Word, he then accused Ted and I of trying to steal his church from him. I was appalled, to say the least, devastated that he would say such things after all the care and support we had shown him. Love being discarded for power, I never saw it coming. He called a meeting between four of us after he had gone to all the members asking if they had been coerced by Ted and I to side against him. It was a unanimous no by all, even the man he used as his ally. After that meeting, we left the fellowship and started meeting in our homes. Ted soon moved back to Arkansas, and we moved to Silsby, Texas, where we would raise our family. As we left, I still remember Dean's words that came to me through other members. I sure hope something doesn't happen to his family. By God's grace, we raised two godly daughters and have nine grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. After moving to Silsby, we attended several churches, led by the Holy Spirit, only to find abuse in one sector and deadness in another. While at First Baptist Silsby, Nancy and I met an evangelist and worked with him out on the streets doing block parties, caring for the homeless, and was introduced to mission work in Mexico. Another brother and I started working the neighborhoods around First Baptist Silsby, and the Lord blessed our endeavors. But this seemed to make the deacons very upset, as I later found out when the two head deacons invited me to the country club, where I was wined and dined and told to stop, as the color of a man's skin mattered to them. This ired me, and I realized why this place had been labeled Ichabod years earlier. Soon after they brought in the district director to straighten everything out, making sure their status quo remained the same. It was then my family and I left. We went back to meeting in the homes, something we had done most of my adult life, enjoying the freedom to serve God without the shackles men continuously want to put on you. After all, with what we had just gone through and seeing what was happening in the church, 
It wouldn't be long, and surely the Lord would return. Nancy and I were still working block parties with the evangelist and trucking supplies to San Antonio so that Brother Juan could take them to Rosita and the church in the Brown Mountains of Mexico. I want to share one story, even though there are many. Nancy and I were praying one morning, and the Holy Spirit confirmed within each of us, Brother Juan needs supplies and needs them now. We really didn't know what kind of supplies were needed, but food was always welcome, as Brother Juan would feed anyone all weekend. Well, Lady Luck was with Brother Juan. No, God knew that was my only day off that week, period. I called the evangelist to tell him what was going on, as Nancy and I were headed to Sam's to get flour and beans. He was excited as he told me a large amount of food had been given to him from folks that had prepared for Y2K, but didn't have a way to get the food to San Antonio. Problem solved. After stopping by Sam's on our way out, we had an 8x10 cargo trailer full of food. We sure hope Brother Juan has room for all this food. We called as we were entering San Antonio, and to our surprise, Juan wasn't working. As we arrived at his house with the warmest of greetings, he asked, What did y'all bring? I opened the trailer doors, and tears started running down his face, as they are mine now, remembering what Brother Juan said next. As he hugged Nancy and I. Yesterday, when we finished feeding, the lady in charge of the food told me, Juan, we are out of food. We do not even have any beans. Brother Juan replied, It's okay. God will provide. He begged us to go to Mexico with him, but I had to be at work the next day, so we asked him to give her a message. We call God Jehovah in the nick of time. We hadn't talked to anyone. There wasn't any schedule. It was simply God, providentially providing for his children. While on the road, we would read to each other and discuss what it would be like to be in an active body of believers. In the back of my mind, I thought starting a new work would be different. Three of us started praying together, sometimes lasting into early morning. A new work was being born, and we started meeting in the garage of the man God called to pastor. We were all going door to door, evangelizing Silsby, and Freedom Fellowship was born. Two semi-Pelagians and me, a Calvinist, even though I prefer only one title to this day, Christian. So many stories attesting to the handiwork of God, people being saved, folks being delivered from indwelling sin, the poor and needy being taken care of as we placed a box at the door of the garage instructing folks to give and take as the Holy Spirit led them. In eight weeks, there was $7,000, seven months, 25000 even while remodeling the garage, buying a sound system, and providing for all who were in need. More folks were coming, and the freedom? Well, the pastor asked me to close in prayer one Sunday, and my oldest granddaughter, my namesake, who was a toddler at the time, heard our name mentioned and started praying. You could have heard a pin drop. When she finished praying, the pastor looked at me, and all I could say was, Amen. As folks continued to come, the paradigms came with them, and before long, freedom was just another church on another corner. It was time for us to leave. Many years passed meeting in homes, working with other ministries, bringing supplies to Mexico, working with the homeless. Something was still missing. 
Two men were placed in my path questioning the relevance of the law of God today. That was easily discarded, right? After all, Christ fulfilled the law. Still praying, the Lord then sends my granddaughter, my namesake. Yes, she had grown up. It was 2010. We had had hundreds upon hundreds of conversations, and the omniscient God we served knew I would listen to her gracious and tactically placed questions that would start the process of dealing with subjects I had shelved and the eisegesis I had used in Scripture as a dispensationalist with a fatalistic worldview. I don't want to make light of this crucial point in our lives, as I believe the law of God is key, not only in salvation, but also sanctification. We need to ask ourselves two questions. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. And, how would you describe our nation in one word? I use the word lawless. And why? Because sin is the transgression of the law. Our culture is religion externalized. So goes the actions of the church. So goes the culture. Anyway, Nancy and I sought out her exegetical source, Shelby's best friend's dad-in-law, Pastor Jim Nelson in Moulton, Alabama. I will always love this brother for the time he spent with us, and five years later we are now in-laws. The Holy Spirit opened the scripture up anew, and regardless of how many times I, or you, may have read the word of God with our fallible minds, God's word is infallibly true. He is real, and there is safety in a multitude of counselors. Since that time, God has placed Tim Yarbrough, John Weaver, Bojador Marinoff, and a host of other brothers and sisters, including my elder, Russell Trawick, of Christ's Covenant Church, who exegetically teaches the law word of God and is interested in the church making an impact on the community and culture. And my friend Dr. Joel McNerman, with his new book, Bounds of Love, being a good place to start learning how the law of God applies to us today. Nancy and I have participated in actively protesting abortion at our local death mill in Houston, one of the atrocities of this nation, equivalent to Moloch worship, of which we'll be judged by God. Lord willing, Nancy and I are now planning to be very active in the abolition of abortion in Texas and have started involving ourselves in our community, informing individuals, city officials, and local churches that Christ is King and the Word of God is relevant in every area of thought and life. In the last year, I have come in contact with many dear brothers and sisters by narrating articles and the book Roots of Reconstruction, which is in production for Reconstructionist Radio, the idea of a dear brother, Jason Sanchez, which can be found on Facebook and iTunes. At 62, I'm also teaching myself Spanish, as I have a love for all men, especially those of the household of faith, and as I previously stated, the Mexican people are close to my heart. Nancy and I, in our transition from dispensational teachings and secret rapture pre-mill eschatology, are referred to by Gary North as one percenters. Only one percent of folks who have walked by faith for 20 years or longer ever change their end-time beliefs and worldview. I will say this, the shedding of a fatalistic worldview has enabled us to see more clearly the lively hope and the victory we have now as we abide in Christ. My testimony is not as profound as others, and I'm thankful for their God-given talents and gifts 
in which they used for the glory of God from the greatest to the least. For my wife and the family God has blessed me with, and how each one has impacted my life. They love me more than I deserve. I am thankful to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for directing us in accordance to His Word and His will. And these are a few of the lessons I learned. God is sovereign and transcendent, and the miracles He performs still exist today. Relationships are important, and love is defined by God and His Word. God's love is not according to ethnicity. Children are gifts of God, and He has trusted us as parents to raise and nurture them according to His Word, being fully aware and guiding them in their purpose on this earth and in His kingdom. A truncated gospel brings God down to the level of man. The law of God is key in salvation and sanctification. Marriage is a covenant before God in which you both have been given charge to take dominion together. Unbridled debt enslaves you and hinders you from taking dominion. The ethical judicial principle of covenantal thinking in every area of thought and life. Your eschatology makes a difference in how you live your life. Without self-governance, other areas of government will not change. There is safety in a multitude of counselors. Jesus Christ has left us the example that we should follow, and the Holy Spirit will lead us in the battles that are ahead. We also need each other, and God has given us the technology to be able to equip, edify, and encourage each other regardless of the location. We need to remember in the essentials there is unity, in the non-essentials there is liberty, but in all things there is charity. It is because God is, I am kingdom driven. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of seven distinct shows. You can subscribe now to your favorite shows on iTunes or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed on iTunes where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles will pop up as soon as they are available and don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner financially with this ministry may the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom <laughs>